just to catch some of you up to speed, uh, we are on week three. Hala hala. We are talking about your identity when it comes to, oh, that's right, romance, dating, relationships. We had to bring it back to the ships, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes. But uh, the way we've been defining identity is uh, um, our essence, what, how God has wired us, our unique essence of just kind of who we are internally, but also our purpose, the higher purpose that God has called us to in our lives. And last week, if you were here with us, we talked about how many of us, we feel like we have unlovable parts inside of us, that we actually compare ourselves to the world around us is the hot button of the, of the millennia, the, the word comparison, that all of us do this. And, and for some, so many of us, we have these, these qualities. We feel like we're soft instead of strong. We are rational instead of passionate. We are practical instead of artistic and cerebral. And for so many of us, there are parts that we believe that are unlovable, that are the very things that actually hinder us from being the person that God has called us to be. And so we spend all of our focus on trying to have more of the desirable parts. We look at other people and their identities and how they're running and the calling and the unique essence that God has given them. And we think about what we do not have. And when our focus is on what we are not, we forget the function of who we are. Is that we forget that the parts that God has given us have a function in and of themselves. And so what we said last week is what you compare in you, uh, God prepared in you. That the things that are unlovable inside of you are the very things that God has placed there for a specific purpose. That your insecurity actually is supposed to be there for someone else's security. That your maybe fear is supposed to lead you to a place of bravery. That your doubt is actually supposed to lead you to a place of deliverance of other people. Amen? That it's the very unlovable parts of us that God has designed for us to win hearts. And the areas that you thought were mistakes or defects or even different are the very tools that God has equipped you with to have influence. And so this week we're talking about identity in regards to romance and relationships and marriage. And kind of a disclaimer heads up, uh, something that we get as feedback every time we do one of these series is, you know, well, I'm a single person or I'm a married person or I'm in a relationship or I'm dating. And so tonight it's, it's all universal, baby. We got you all covered. So we're talking to the married folks in the room. Who are the married people in the house? Hey, covenant, holla, holla. Okay, okay, okay. K's in the bank. Yeah, that wedding gift. Yeah, okay. So we got married people uh, engaged. Any engaged in the house? Oh, dang. Okay, okay, we got some engaged. All right. Uh, okay, who's it? In relationships? Okay, relationships. Okay, we got some relationships. Singles? Hey, singles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So there's a few other categories. Anybody uh, talking? Because that's a stage. Or, uh, or how about, uh, <laughs> got him. She's like, no, not me. <laughs> or better yet, who's tindering in the house? Oh, ain't nobody raising their head. Yeah, yeah, my girl. Or better yet, bumbling. Who's bumbling? Everyone's like, no, no, that ain't me. What's well, bumble? I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. So tonight is, uh, is universal. Tonight is so universal for, I think, all of us, whether you're, you're, you're in a relationship, you're committed, you're married, you're single. Hopefully this is something, and then we're going to look at a lot of fun like little Bible scriptures. But here's something I've realized, is that all of us, when it comes to relationships, and we try to get feedback from our friends or our family or our group leader or, or somebody at 1829, what I found is, is that many of us are caught in one singular tension. And there's kind of two, two sides of this pendulum, would you say, that I feel like many of us are caught in. And, and, and here's what happens is that in relationships, we don't know, number one, what to prioritize. As we don't know if we should lower expectation or, 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 or I'm sorry, compromise. I'm so sorry. 
We don't know what we should compromise is the first one. So the second one, you kind of already know. But first one is compromise, meaning what we need to let go of. What are the expectations that we need to drop? You know, I think there's so many of the you know, guys in the room who just want to be in a relationship like, man, I just want to find somebody who's pretty, who's athletic, you know. I want to find someone who's fun, got a huge sense of humor, you know. I want someone who's got a nice, big personality, you know what I'm saying? I just want a girl who's the total package, y'all. I just want a girl who looks at me the way that Ryan Gosling looks at Rachel McAdams, you know what I'm saying? Can a guy ask for more? As if there's a lot, of, a lot of us who we don't know what to prioritize or what we need to let go of or change our expectations. And so here's the thing that I realize every single person in here is wondering. And this is the question that all the singles, before we put it up, this is the question that ultimately if you are single and you are looking for someone to date, this is the question that you are asking. Ready? Here it is. Let's put it up. Do I compromise in trying to find the unicorn that I'm looking for? Oh, yes, you better. Because the unicorn, I'm telling you, the unicorn is out there. They, they, you just haven't found them yet. And, you know, they're out there, and they're going to meet all of your needs. And additionally, the unicorn, you did not find them in high school. You did not find them in college. You're definitely not going to find them here because there's no way you would just show up to find them here. You know what I'm saying? Nobody would do that. And so the truth is, is it? Many of us, even in marriage, we kind of feel like the same tension of compromise. For, ma- for married couples, or if your couples are dating, you feel like actually you've compromised on a lot already, that your expectations have changed drastically, that for you, the unicorn somewhere lost its horn, the sparkles fell off. When you got married, they put on like 30 or 40 pounds worth of marriage weight, yo. It happens. So now they're just a horse. They're not even a unicorn. <laughs> Kidding. Guys. Rel- the metaphor. Metaphor metaphor and i think for for those of us in relationships or or you're dating or married i think the question for us is what do i give into versus what should i be fighting for what are the things that i should relax on what should i be fighting for and then the second thing so we're 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 kind of wondering what we should compromise in relationships the other one is what we should prioritize which means uh to to what should we put first what are the things that we should fight for and all of us we know like, well, hey, I feel like I need to, we, we all need to, for the, if you're in here, you, you kind of feel like, well, maybe I need to prioritize my relationship with God or my faith. But yet, I think even with that priority, many of us are still left with the same exact questions of practicality. For singles, you don't know what to prioritize when you're looking for someone. Should I prioritize feeling passionate about them? Should I prioritize their personality, their chemistry, their attraction, or their friendship? For marrieds, you don't know what to prioritize inside of your marriage because you've compromised so much that now you don't, you're wondering what to prioritize. Should I prioritize quality time over career or, or vice versa? Should I have more career in there versus quality time? Should I, you know, date night over fortnight? Should I prioritize <laughs> friendships over Netflix? Like what are the areas that I want to actually choose to prioritize and put first in a, inside of our marriage? And especially if you're a couple, you, you realize that you've compromised so much for someone that you don't know how to prioritize for yourself. That you're so busy serving someone else that you actually don't know how to love yourself and stand up for the standards. And so for, for many times, changing our expectations feels like we are compromising our standards for married folks. And so we're actually going to look at some of the New Testament scripture now. Now, if, if you've been in church for a long time, some of these verses are pretty popular. They're used a lot. And we've never really covered them at 1829, so I'm really excited to kind of dive into them with you all together. However, I would say that maybe even you've heard these before. My hope is, is that you would see them differently, that you would get something a little bit different out of it, because I think we're going to look at each one of these a little bit differently. And so um, I understand, too, that a lot of the verses that are found in Scripture 
A lot of them are principles that apply to marriage. So inside the covenant arrangement that God has set up in, in, a, in a forever covenant promise. However, I think that when we have, we can look at some of these principles for, for marriage and we can observe how all of us can feel and think about relationships, whether we are married or in a, a, a tense relationship or we are single. And so the first principle is um, from Jesus. And if you're new here, you, really, if, if you're brand new in the room, you don't know Jesus. We take our cues from Jesus because we believe that if you, uh, if you can predict your own death and resurrection and pull it off, then we're just going to trust you on everything you say. So the first one is from Jesus. And the Pharisees are a group of religious people who they are trying to trap Jesus and they try to question him because his, his movement and his ministry was getting so much popularity in the ancient world that they tried to stop it because they wanted to preserve uh, perceived peace between Jesus and his followers and the Roman Empire that was occupying the ancient territory of Israel at this time. And so the Pharisees are trying to keep Jesus intact to make sure that there's no type of overthrow in the government. So this is where we pick it up. So the Pharisees came, and verse 2 says this. They came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so they come to test him, to trap him in his words. Their hope was is that Jesus in his teaching would maybe refute something that he had already previously taught on. So they're hoping that maybe he would even go against what Moses himself would say, because Jesus is a rabbi, which means he's a teacher, and as a rabbi, you gain a following. So he hopes that if they, they trap him in the wrong things that go against the law of Moses, that his followers would disband. And so Jesus, being smarter than them, also just being God, and probably knowing their thoughts as they're thinking, he looks at them and he questions them, that, them back with the utmost authority of who they would look to for their authority. And so this is what it says in verse 3. Well, what did Moses command you? He replied. So Moses is, in the, in the Old Testament, they call it the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Genesis through, why am I blanking right now? Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. So, uh, wow, bad. It's terrible up here. Uh, and so he, he's like, what does Moses say? Because Moses is the guy that we all look to. We get our cues from Moses because he was a prophet that was uh, concerned by God. And so they said this. Well, they said in verse 4, Moses permitted a man to write a, a certificate of divorce and to send her away. That Moses permitted. So why would, would Moses permit it? And Jesus, verse 5, he, he takes it a little bit higher. He says this. But it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. And we'll kind of hang out right here for just a second. So Jesus, he knows something, and maybe we wouldn't catch this in our 21st century mindset, is that in, in the ancient times, in the Old Testament, women were not treated as equals. They were treated as property. And so in the Old Testament, men would marry women as property. So as their property, they become objects. They don't become people. So they weren't loved, taken care of. And so Moses, seeing the hearts of the men of the Israelites, knowing that they hadn't seen Jesus yet in his grace, and they hadn't evolved in their understanding and paradigm of who God was, the God of love was, that he had to make a rule to protect the women of the day. Because if they were hard-hearted enough, the men, then they would actually abuse the women in their relationship. So he said, if you are, and this is the word that's used, if you are suffering in a relationship, if you are a man and you're suffering in a relationship, then you are allowed to write a certificate of divorce in protection of the women. So fast forward to Jesus' time, which might be about a thousand years later, and he actually raises the bar a little bit more because the Pharisees are still abiding by this rule that they love so much. But Jesus says something different because in Jesus' day, the same thing is kind of happening. Maybe they aren't to the extent of abuse that the way Old Testament people were, but in that time period, 
men would still divorce women just because they didn't feel it anymore. And so Jesus, he's about to refute it and say, well, hey, I think that this is different. And he's going to ascribe a divine and cosmic order to things from his heavenly father saying it's different. It's not just because of what happens to the women, but it's more than that. So the Pharisees who are trying to trap him with a question, Jesus answers, raising the bar to something that they probably didn't even hold themselves. And so Jesus says that marriage is important and that marriage matters to also protect the women of that day. Because if a woman was divorced, they would have no money, no worth, no job, because everything was still a patriarchal society. And so their, all their worth was connected to a man. And so he, he says, that's not going to happen anymore, not in my kingdom, You're, th- because it's different. It's not just about keeping the rules. It's about obeying our heavenly father of love. And so he says this in verse 6. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, that the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so Jesus, I mean, he comes off and he just says, this is a higher bar that you probably didn't even consider because all you cared about was following the rules. But I tell you the truth. It's more about the love that you should have because what God has brought together, let no man separate. And so this is kind of where we land a little bit with some of the tension when it comes to our relationship or our marriage, when it concerns our identity. And it's this, is that the two become tangled as one, is that the two identities begin to merge together to form one. And this is what we kind of all feel. We feel like in a relationship, they define us, that we don't know where they end. You've said this, and we begin. We don't know where they end and we begin. But also, at the same exact time, because the two become tangled as one, This is the beauty of marriage, of intimacy, of growing closer and closer and merging your identities to become one. But however, this is also the terrifying news of dating and being in relationships because it's unavoidable. The more that you want to date, all of a sudden you're beginning to get a little more tangled and tangled. And then when you have to split apart, you're untangling when you are slowly becoming, uh, starting to become one. So let's put it this way, that Jesus says this, that one can't become two But one can only become half. That when the two are tangled, they become one. And so when you split apart, you're no longer two, but you're half. Now, I'm I'm a little bit of a realist. I am not saying to you, because actually my my parents, they actually split up. Uh, My dad ended up remarrying. So so I'm a realist. I do not believe that, that, that if you get divorced, that all of a sudden you are exempt, you can't find wholeness, all of a sudden you're just going to be a half. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is when two become tangled and you try to untangle it, we all feel like we're half. That when you're in a relationship and it's really close and you untangle, you feel this. And I think all of us can agree that two people becoming untangled will always have trauma attached. In fact, scientists have studied that divorce is actually the second most traumatic life event next to someone in your life dying. And for some of us, I think in the room, this is the exact reason why you don't want to get into another relationship or you have high walls in a relationship because the pain of breakups is the very reason why you don't want to enter into another relationship. Because you became so tangled and untangling that all of a sudden rips your heart right in two. And so your walls are higher. And so here's what happens. Our identity is compromised when two get tangled. 
that no matter what relationship we're in, single, married, engaged, tindering, bumbling, talking, that who you are will change. What you do will change. You will change. And this is the beauty and the intent of what marriage is, is to have to become one. But I think for so many of us, we know our identity changes. We know that's true. We just don't know what changes. We are confused if we are supposed to just change our behavior and what we do, or if we're supposed to change our identity and who we are so that the two can become tangled as one. And for many of us, changing what we do actually does feel like changing who we are. And so before we kind of get into this, Paul actually talks about one of the benefits and what can be better about being tangled together as one. And I I know many of us have heard maybe some of this passage before, but maybe not like this. So stick with me if you've kind of maybe heard this. So it says this, husbands, husbands ought to love their wives as their own, and maybe you never caught it before, as their own bodies. Think about this. Husbands need to love a woman like their own body. That somewhere in your lifetime as a guy, you have clicked the Facebook ad that said Kino body, or some type of muscle thing that you men know what it's like to take care of your own bodies and how it takes time and intentionality. In fact, have you ever neglected the care of your body? Anybody in here, fast food junkies like myself, love you some T-Bell at 2 a.m.? Hey. Or anybody's a Mickey D's or Mackey D's as I call it. But one thing we all realize about what you put in will will we'll come out. So when you put trash in, trash comes out. But what he's saying is to all, the, to all of us men, and I think this is interchangeable between men and women, but the loving your body makes it healthy. And so he continues on. He says this. He who loves his wife, oh, you know where I'm going, loves who? Himself. That after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. So what Paul is saying is, husbands, because you are one flesh, if you don't take care of your woman, your woman ain't taking care of you. Then loving your woman is almost as if you're loving yourself. And so I think this is interchangeable, but I've actually seen this more in relationships, I think, from the girls and a lot of times. When you win a woman or a girl's trust in in relationship and dating, they are free to love you for who you are. For guys, that's at the beginning of it because you need to convince them that you're different than every single other guy. So you spent three, four, five weeks just believing that they're this unicorn and you finally come approach them and they have walls because guess what? They've seen guys like you before who are obsessed and love you for who you are. And so you put your walls down slowly, you begin to trust them. And the minute that they actually begin to trust you and love you, for some reason, the guy, we, we don't realize this, but somehow we think that we need to stop. We, we just don't think about loving our wives or our girlfriends or the person we're in a relationship. We don't think about that as being as equally important as the front end. And so what he's saying is, and I, I heard this quote somewhere and I want to use it, that men, and, and listen to this, that men, love has a pace and it's slower than yours. I think this is a universal truth in all of life, that love always has a pace and it's always slower than yours, that she is probably obsessed with you if she's given you her trust, but is waiting on your love. And so as a man, when you're supposed to love her like you love your own body, that you realize your body doesn't become healthy because you had one meal. You had to feed it. 
You had to nourish it. Come on. If you are a lady in the house and you know where I'm going and you can give Jesus a, a round of applause. It takes time. It takes care. It takes nourish. Nourishment. Nourish, courage. But I've seen this happen in so many relationships, and maybe girls, you felt this, maybe guys, you felt this. But if you're a guy and you're in the house and you are maybe have experienced this, that you have resented a relationship, or maybe you are in a relationship right now where you are resenting her, but you haven't washed her with your words for the past two years because you didn't take care of your own body, that you're the one who's actually hating yourself and not her. That if you're unwilling to, to love her, and this is what every girl is saying, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but uh, about two weeks ago, I had a tweet that went viral. Now, for some of you, you have like a, the most fire Instagram, and so you probably get as many likes as I got on this thing. But I, it was cool. I, I, I was kind of sitting there, and I was dormant on the Twitter game for about like two months. And I was like, you know, I should probably get back on and be a voice in the, in the culture. So I, I popped out the Twitter fingers, <laughs> as you do. And I was like, I learned something because I, 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 was in a, I was in a meeting with one of my bosses, and I said, I said what I said in the tweet. And I was like, oh, that's good. That's so tweetable. And so I pulled out my phone. And I, I, I typed out a few drafts. And I was like, backspace. And I was like, okay, it's just got to get it right. And so I saw it, and I, and I thought to myself, like, this is about to pop. And I was like, this is vulnerable, though. I don't know if I can do it. I was like, you know what? Tweet. And sure enough, Later that night, my wife and I are Netflixing, as you do when you're married. And um, she goes, Drew, your tweet, like, it has, like, 300 likes right now. I was like, that's what I thought. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but soon enough, it kind of spiraled, and it got to the point where it got, like, 900 likes and, like, 90 retweets, but who's counting? And, yeah. and what I said in the tweet was this. I said, this is the best piece of relationship advice I could give you. I don't even, I'm, I'm saying off the top of my head. Is this, is best relationship, I pinned it, so it's at the top, you know. <laughs> Get those retweets again, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> best relationship advice for overexcited guys, race at her pace. Slow down to where she is, not where you wish she was. But it's funny because what I realized after tweeting that, is that that actually, that came from a place of extreme pain in my life for about three or four or five years, and I share this all the time, is that my wife and I, we actually really struggled in our dating relationship, and we wanted to break up a million times, and we thought we could never do it, we thought we could never get married. And it was kind of this tweet that made me realize that this is exactly her currency of trust. And what I realized is, is that so many people want the retweets without walking through the wisdom. Is that so many of us, I think, want to hear the story without actually having the history. I was actually, it reminds me, I, I was up, I, I used to work with teenagers, and we were up at a cottage, and some of the, the girls were asking us, me and my wife, you know, uh, when we started dating, and we started going through the story, and, you know, I kind of went through all the highlights of, like, and then she said, are you sure we can't date other people if we're together? And, and it broke my heart. And they're like, oh, my gosh, that's so sweet. And then I continued, I was like, yeah, okay. And so we kind of talking about it. I was like, and so then, you know, we just broke up the second time. And, our, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I love you guys. And I was like, everybody loves the story, but nobody actually wants the history. And I think we love it when other people are vulnerable, but we hide it when it's happening to us. And I think what happens is for so many of us who are experiencing pain, the one thing that I think that happens and two become tangled is that you love yourself by loving the other person. 
is it's that access into their heart. And so Paul continues on. He doesn't just talk about husbands. He actually talks about wives. And maybe you've heard this before, but I think we need, it's, it's worth mentioning. He says this, each one of you also... I totally. Check, check. Okay. All right, be good. Okay. Pay for that. <laughs> says this. He. Oh. Oh. Says this. Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. Continuing on the same thing. And the wife must respect her husband. Now, ladies, this does not mean you have to sit there, grovel. It does not mean you have to bow down. It does not mean that you have to sit there and be obedient to his every single wish. It just means, ladies, honor and admire him. That your man will actually give you life itself if you honor him publicly and privately. That he will give you the world itself. If he feels like there's a woman who respects, honors, admires him, because here's what I've learned, and this is what every guy experienced, and can I get a year if this is true, shaming him never tames him. They said it. Shaming him never tames him. You'll actually get his behavior if you do. You might win the argument, but you will lose his heart in the process. Give him admiration and dignity, and it will transform his identity. Paul is saying that by loving, by a loving wife, by loving your wife and respecting your husband, is that there is a truth to your tanglement, that you are tangled for transformation, that the beauty of being one is that when you love the other person, you are in fact loving yourself, that your oneness in marriage is always so that you can usher in transformation into your spouse's life and into yours. But however, here's the problem that probably more of us are familiar with when it comes to the tanglement of two people. And this is what we've all said before we put it up. This is what you have probably said in your life, or you know someone that said this in your life. But my guess is that you have at least thought this. So this is what you said. These are your words. I found my identity in the relationship. See, you said it. I found my, I found it. I, I, I realized that I, I just had found my identity in the relationship. And what we were saying is I became so wrapped up in romance that the relationship informed my identity. The marriage told me that I was annoying. The relationship told me that I was goals. The engagement told me that I was worthy and lovable. That the relationship informed and enforced who I am. Did you know that Jesus was informed of identities? People gave him the identity that he was a friend of sinners and welcomed them. That he had the identity that he was a glutton or a drunkard. That people told him, oh, if you're the king of the Jews, then come off the cross and save the people. But people didn't define who Jesus was. Jesus said who he is. He said, I am the lamb of God. I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am the bread of life. I am the one, if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. That I am the way, the truth, and life. Come on, somebody. I am the son of man. That I am who I am. That your relationship doesn't inform your identity. But your identity informs your relationship. I tell myself who I am so that I can tell my relationship what it will be. 
that powerless, powerless people let the relationship define them. Powerful people intentionally transform the relationship. Relationships, get this, don't harden hearts, choices do. People don't define you, Jesus does. Let me say it this way. If your relationship influences your faith more than Jesus rules the relationship, you're tangled up in romance and not a relationship with Jesus. Let me say it louder for the people in the back one more time. If your relationship informs your faith more than Jesus does, you are ruled by romance and not Jesus. One of the first things that I've realized, and I would say for every young adult that's a part of 1829 or of someone who's in our generation, is that the moment that you get involved in a relationship, one of the first, first things that goes when you go into a relationship is your faith. And I'm not talking about the person that you're dating. I'm saying that when you go into a relationship, one of the first things that changes, the easiest variable that you have that can change is your faith. And I'm not talking about because you're dating someone who's indifferently in a spiritual level, level than you. It's because you at home watching Breaking Bad and making excuses. I don't know about you. I don't remember the last time that Breaking Bad had anything to do with your relationship with Jesus. Don't. I will say this, though. I got myself on that one. I will say this. I do think that chemical romance is an absolutely real thing. And you will physically be more wrapped up in a person than Jesus. When you, like, that can happen. You're going to be more wrapped up in the relationship. It, but, and, it, and actually, it will probably make you compromise more than you ever would have dreamt when it comes to morality or even your faith. Which is why I think it's extra important to get wrapped up in a relationship with Jesus because when your faith is securely fastened, the faith is no longer the variable. When your identity is found in Christ, you aren't making a decision about whether you're not going to be with someone who's spiritual on your level. You're trying to find a partner in your faith. You're not making a decision because you don't stick to your faith anymore. Your faith sticks to you. Then when you make Jesus the center and the unchanging variable and you get wrapped up in a romance with Jesus, all of a sudden... Jesus sticks to you. You don't stick to Jesus. That your relationship does not inform your faith. Your faith informs your relationship. That is the guiding force. And so coming back to our question that we asked at the beginning. So for all of us who are single or dating, I don't know what to compromise and I don't know what to prioritize. And in light of two people getting really tangled up, and allowing your identity to inform your relationship, allowing your faith to inform your relationship as the centers, as the things that matter inside of the relationship. Prioritize what matters to you. Prioritize what matters to you. What do you want to have? Honestly, if you are a single person and you prioritize being passionate about someone, then prioritize that because that matters to you. What, if, if, so, if having someone be exactly neck and neck with you in your faith, is that something that you want to prioritize, then prioritize it because it matters to you. For me, 
a priority that I had to fight for in my relationship and my marriage is that before I go to bed, I want to have 20 minutes of solace and solitude. Whereas my wife, she loves to come out and play at that time of the night. And she'll jump on me and just go, ah, what are we doing right now? I'm going to bed. But here's the second part. Prioritize what matters to you, but compromise your priorities for them. Wait, hold on. I don't understand. You just said prioritize what matters to you to put it first. What I am saying, though, is you can have a priority and still compromise for them. It doesn't mean that you put it last. It just means that you wanted to love and honor and serve them because what love requires me is their needs. And when I love them, I love me. And so I allow my wife to come into my shell 20 minutes because I compromise what I prioritize. In fact, when it comes to your identity, you don't have to compromise who you are, but how you serve. You don't compromise your identity You compromise on what you can't control in someone else. You don't have to change what you find funny. You just have to make sure that you find out what they think is funny. You don't have to change what your hobbies are. You just have to get interested in theirs. You don't have to change the way that they connect with God. You have to find the way that they connect with God. But for some of us, this actually might mean compromising parts. And get this. I know this is hard. This actually might mean compromising parts of who you are to love them above yourself. And here is why is because your behavior is not the exact same thing as your identity. Behavior can be a byproduct of your identity, but behavior is also a byproduct of wounds and coping mechanisms around your hurt ego. And so a lot of times our behavior, if it's dishonoring towards our spouse or the person we're with in a relationship, the chances are that that's a wound and not your identity. That... Just because you do that behavior, it doesn't mean that it's who you are. And that's something to go back into your relationship with Jesus and have him address it at the root so that it doesn't appear in the fruit. And I'll say this in the final way because it's probably the best marriage advice I ever got. Ready for this? It doesn't matter what you think. It matters how they feel. As if this is what it means to compromise on your priorities. Is that I think so many of us can be so transfixed and trying to get our needs met that we look at relationships as a as a gathering point for affection as as a way to gather our worth and our value and we forgot that it's actually meant to serve so that loving someone else i can then receive love from someone who isn't me and know my identity so it doesn't always matter what we think but it matters how they feel that don't let someone define you that your marriage You're not defined. The marriage doesn't tell you that you are annoying, that the relationship doesn't tell you that you're unworthy, is that Jesus tells you those things. And I think it was interesting in my life when when my wife and I first started dating, and I've shared a lot of our story just over the kind of year or two, but I let a a rejection actually become a part of who I was in my identity, that I let that actually deeply and profoundly affect who I was as a person. And so because I I, I was selfish, and I wanted to, um, I wanted the relationship to fulfill my needs. And so I, I felt entitled to her love. I felt like it shouldn't have happened that way. And I realized that when it comes to a relationship, it's all about asking the question, what does love require of me? 
And it actually reinforced the cycle for us of about two or three years worth of just terrible fighting, of walking on eggshells, being afraid to be who we really were, believing that we had to change who we were to accommodate the other person. I thought that I had to get more sarcastic. I thought I had to get more funny. I, had to th- I, had, I thought I had to kind of reject this, this, the sweet nature that I had that I felt like as a guy I have, like I'm just like this sweet guy or whatever. I thought I had to reject that so that I could be like a bad, cool guy. And I realized that what happens is, is you spend all of your time, as we said last week, you spend all of your time unnaturally trying to be who someone else is instead of naturally being who you are and who God has created you to be. So let your faith and your relationship with Jesus and the words that he speaks about who you are, who he's called you, let that inform the relationship that you are. Be a powerful person instead of a powerless person. Don't let the relationship define you. You tell the relationship where to go because you know who you are. And you let your identity inform the relationship instead of letting the relationship inform your identity. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, um, I know so many of us, we are, I know so many of us, we are just in so much turmoil. In fact, this might actually be the most painful thing that we have in our life is a relationship or a relationship that's gone wrong or a person who rejected us or a person who left us. And so God, I just, I just ask and invite you into this space right now that, that you would confirm someone's an identity in here tonight, that they, that they're not worthless that they have worth in your sight that you have loved them that you actually died for them so that you could have relationship with them and maybe it's always felt cliche before but maybe tonight it actually feels different that you realize that you didn't even spare your own son but yet gave him up for us all so that we could have life in you that in your eyes there is a kindness and there's a gentleness and that there's a love relationship that is awaiting for them and that a man could never define who they are, that a man's opinion of them could never define the person of value that they bring to the table or the way that they can love or the way that they can further your kingdom, the way that they can connect with you, the way that they love and adore their family and relationships, that a man's opinion or or confused opinion could never define that. And likewise, that a woman's rejection or an awareness of hurting uh, one of a, a guy's ego in here tonight, that that would never define him, that he would never let that disrespect him or dishonor him or make him feel shame in his heart as a man. But rather, it's through that pain that, that as a man, they can get up and walk, that they will love someone, that they will be a treasure for someone else to find. That deep inside of their heart, they were created with a wild heart, a wild heart of love and passion and desire and care and gentleness and even silence, a silent care. That their lack of words wasn't a lack of love in their hearts. But God, let a man in here know tonight that he's not defined by the way a woman views him or the attention that he is not getting. That's not who he is. It's what he feels. And it's okay to feel these things. It's okay for all of us in here, for for girls to feel, for guys to feel like we're confused about our worth. We're asking the, the question and we're in wonderland of wondering when that person comes who will fill us up or give us what we need. 
even though we know somewhere in there that that's not going to be the truth. It'll fill our hearts somewhere, but there's still a part of us that we need to love about ourselves before someone else loves it in us. God, give us the courage to love it inside of ourselves first, to love who we are before someone else defines who we are, before we get tangled so that one day our tangling can actually be a transformation and a way to love ourselves and to serve and give love to someone who desperately needs it. Surrounding with as one name still on a seat still made a meet us still everywhere at your name Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, silence fear, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, breathe all these bones today. All these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, your silence real. Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, 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 who make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, silence fear, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, your name is a light that the shadow can't deny. Your name cannot be overcome. He's alive, lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Can't be 
over each and every person in this room Lord God I pray, Lord, that whatever whatever season that they're in, Father, that you are meeting them where they're at, Lord God. Father, that we can just keep our faith, our hope in you, Lord, that no matter what things look like around us, no matter what our situation looks like, Lord, that you hold us in the palm of your hand.
and you know things before they happen, Lord. You know the plans that you have for us, Father. So I just thank you that we can rest in knowing that our future is in the palm of your hand, Lord God. And your plans for us are good. They're never to destroy us, Father God, or to bring harm to you. They are so good. Thank you, Lord. Oh, 
Jesus. 